Welcome to One Day Contract, the Panthers talk show, where each week we're joined by a new personality who we've signed to a one-day contract to join the show. One Day Contract is a proud part of the Riot Network. Follow us on Twitter at the Riot Network to stay up to date on all your favorite pods. Subscribe, rate, love us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Nikki Wolf. With me, as always, Josh Klein, Editor-in-Chief for the Riot Report, and is ecstatic that not only is nature healing, but LaMelo Ball's wrist is too. Yes, LaMelo Ball. I don't know if the celebration still works, but no, it doesn't. I don't have it on the the Zoom. It was L on here, and then a B, LB. So he doesn't have to do the, the Carmelo three to the to the temple. Yeah. Nature is healing, uh, out on Sunday, uh, fully vaccinated, got the Pfizer running through my veins and I was out, went to the Hornets game, went out to dinner a couple times, just like excited to be back to real life. Um, excited to see people that I love and interact with them, uh, via life still outside though. And also no, don't touch me. Stay, stay six feet away, but I do, I want to interact with you, but if you see me on the street, Six feet back, please. I can't wait to tackle hug you the next time I see you. <laughs> and I'll just <laughs> pour hand sanitizer all over me and when that, after that happens. <laughs> I know someone else who wants to hug you. Colin Hoggard, columnist and contributor for the Riot Report, and is officially ready to declare it deck season. Oh, it's yes, time. it is. It's Sounds- time. How does the deck look? It, it's... It needs a little TLC if we're being honest. In, in, in the pandemic year, I, you know, not having people over, don't necessarily need to poly, you know, shine it up real nice. It's, uh, it could use a little, little TLC. So we'll, we'll work on that. I borrowed a power washer, power washed my rocking chairs that were sitting outside, sat in them zero times, and now they're covered in dirt again. So the, the power washer borrow a waste was a waste. But was it satisfying watching the dirt? It's incredible. It's like no, paint. It, it's incredible. It's like painting them white. Like it's like, like you just like go. Oh my god! It's the best. I wish I could no overrun with pressure washing. Like you can't mess up this painting. That's what makes it great. Like this is my best painting, aka pressure washing. Mm-hmm. It's fun. It's I'm one gonna, of the joys of home ownership is the ability to pressure wash. I'm gonna need to borrow that. Our our porch is green and disgusting and the the the. All right, so we got to start with my super important question. Ted Lasso is back, July twenty third, season two. How excited are you? Scale of one to ten. Well, I mean, obviously, I mean a ten, right? Like it was one of the best shows of last year, twenty twenty. Get helped get through the pandemic. Um, what just like the happiness and joy and excitement to watch something that wasn't just depressing and awful like most of the things that we tend to watch like breaking bad it's like hey let's watch this guys slowly descend into being a terrible person or like hey we're gonna watch this like this is an allegory for uh for for god and and for racism and for and it's all got to be can it just be uh just just joyful and good and fun and i just like watching jason Sudeikis dance i mean ever since the uh Ever since What's Up With That, no no better comedy dancing than Jason Sudeikis. I love it. Colin, how do you feel about Ted Lasso? Very, very excited for all of the Ted Lasso fans out there that it's coming back. I have not seen an episode of Ted Lasso. Whoa. I know that at least part of it is based on Roy Williams, which is fun. Whoa. Um, 
but no, I have not seen it. But for all the reasons you gave, Josh, it sounds like a good good reason to watch. But and I should like it because an American going over to Europe and dominating sounds right up my alley. So. <laughs> it's the feel good show that we all need. So excited! You got to get caught up. You've got some time to get caught up, Colin. It's been pretty universal the praise I've heard, and I've heard multiple people, you know, not just give it the standard fare, but you know, kind of go above and beyond. So I definitely am interested in, in watching it. Yeah. yeah. If you don't like the show, the problem is definitely you. I'm just going to go ahead and throw that out there. So now there's pressure. Great. <laughs> <laughs> also, it just, it took me a little bit of time to get to it because it's on Apple TV, which is like, what? You got to, and then you have to like go out of your way to find a friend who has Apple TV, convince them that you can have their name and password. Like, I'm not going to pay $6.99 for the month. What am I, John D. Rockefeller? Like, I don't have $6.99 just rolling around in my bank account that I could spend for the best show of 2020 to watch, especially not when it's a 30 day free trial and I'll cancel before it ends. Like I did for Peacock to watch WrestleMania. I figured that that podcaster of the year award would help pay for that. No, it does not come with a monetary prize. Unfortunately. I gotta say, I gotta say saying six ninety nine is a steep price for it. Not exactly living up to the endorsement <laughs> you had previously given. It actually might be nine ninety nine for Apple TV. So I'm not a hundred percent sure. <laughs> I wouldn't know. I borrowed somebody's password. There you go. I had to buy a new computer six months ago, so I got a free year trial. So, Colin, you can come to my house or I can figure out how to set it up for you. I don't know how that works. I'm not technological. Good thing you are. We'll get it figured uh, out. Yeah. And I should mention, you're probably wondering, well, where's the guest at? Guest is going to be joining us a little later in the show. We've got Josh Norris from Underdog Fantasy, host of Underdog Football. He's going to talk about draft takes and who he thinks is a quarterback of the future for the Carolina Panthers. So, quick news first. Panthers sign Daquan Jones today. First, what do you think of this signing? My first thought was, does this mean that the, the KK short, um, you know, sitting on the shelf, is this, is this, did he get that money? Is this that money, you think? Um, because they needed some depth uh, on that defensive line. And there's, we kind of said, eh, maybe KK is waiting in the wings. Josh, I don't know. Do you think this is, this, this means the KK time is done? I don't think it necessarily precludes that, but I don't think it doesn't point, doesn't bode well for, for K1 shorts time in, in Carolina. Um, if they gave Jones 99, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, but um, I think it's a good signing. I mean, I, my question, no, you know what? I, I don't have anything negative to say about Daquan Jones. He's a good run stuffer, great guy for all intents and purposes, 29 years old, was a captain in Tennessee last year. Uh, terrific, always available. I think he started every game over the past three seasons. Um, can play the one, can play the three. It is a guy that is going to is going to eat up snaps, which sounds bad, but that's actually something that you want in a uh, – in in a defensive tackle. Like, yes, you need some guy, you need somebody to make some splash plays at defensive tackle, but guess what? You drafted that guy at seven last year. You don't need Daquan Jones to do it. You need him to hold up, take up two tacklers and, and tackle uh, Mike Davis or Alvin Kamara or uh, whoever the Bucks running back is now, Ronald Jones, when he runs right at you. To your point, he played more than 50% of defensive snaps in, in all the games last season for the Titans. Yeah, so I, maybe maybe the the only quibble I might have is four million dollars seems like a lot um, for for a guy on a one year rental deal. But you know what? If, if you're gonna sign, I mean, 
at this point, like you're not, they're not saving that money for anything. Uh, so you may as well go out and do it. And the thing that I think it is more interesting is that all of these signings are just directing you towards them drafting a left tackle with the eighth pick. Like, it's just like everything that they're doing is like painting them into this corner that when you can't like they, okay. So they, they're, they hate Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy's the worst quarterback since sliced bread. So you got to bring in, so here's Sam Darnold. Uh, you need, we need a defensive tackle. They cut Zach Kerr. F.A. Abad is gone, whatever. You need somebody to eat up snaps. Oh, here comes Daquan Jones. Uh, you need uh, somebody on the interior offensive line. They signed a bunch of guys. You need a pass-catching tight end. They signed Dan Arnold. You need a corner. They signed A.J. Bouye. Now, these are not long-term answers, but at the same time, what there is no short-term answer at left tackle. It's not Cam Irving. Cam Irving is, is the backup guy. I know everybody says, like, oh, they made these signings so they don't have to draft anybody. They can do BPA. Yeah, they can, but they still have a huge hole in their roster right now at left tackle, whereas they don't have a huge hole at any other position. And it also seems like with the draft, it very well could line up that BPA is, in fact, that left tackle. Exactly. Let's talk about the draft. Is this the most wide-open draft the Panthers have had in years? Um, I think yes and no. I, I know I just said that it seems like everything is pointing towards left tackle, but at the same time, like, the way the draft could fall could lead to other positions. But I think, Colin, just like what you said, in that best player available is almost certainly going to be a left tackle with that eighth spot. I think the Panthers are going into this with like, well, you know what? If Kyle Pitts is there at eight, we might take him. It's like, that's great. But I think you should just say, if Trevor Lawrence is there at eight, we're going to take him too. Like, Kyle Pitts is not going to be there at eight. And I think there's a pretty good chance somebody like Panay Sewell or Jamar Chase – or, um, or or one of these other guys that is not a left tackle will also not be there at eight. So, or Justin Fields, who I think a lot of people think they may pull the trigger on if he's there at eight. Um, I, I think that, that those guys are not going to be available at eight. That's what that's my thinking. Yeah, I think with the Darnold with the Darnold signing, they they were never probably going to trade up in this draft in all likelihood. But right. now with that Darnold signing. And depending on where they grade Sewell, like do they think Sewell or Slater truly are like going to be one of these Hall of Fame type left tackles, best in the league year after year after year? If not, you know, you know, the trade down scenario is going to be uh, what everybody's going to be talking about right up until either they pick or they trade. Mm -hmm. I, I love the idea that they might trade down. Um, I think that when you look at this roster right now, they are not – particularly built to compete in 2021. Sorry if you're listening, uh, Matt Rule and, and Scott Fitterer. But um, I, I think they could be okay in 2021. But I think that if you could build pieces for next year and still get a quality left tackle or maybe a quality corner or, you know, fill another position of need that isn't as glaring as left tackle at, four, at 12, 13, 15, I, I would do that all day and twice on Sunday. But – that's that's just me and we don't know that's what that what that's what does make this the most wide open draft is because we don't really know how Matt Rule drafts because for all intents and purposes Marty Herney did a lot of that drafting last year some of the some of the late round stuff I think was obviously Matt Rule we certainly don't know what Scott Fitterer does we think we know 
because of what John Schneider does, where he comes from in Seattle, what, what he said before. But at the same time, like, we don't know. These guys could be crazy. Like, they could just be like, oh, yeah, well, you know what? We took Trey Lance at eight because he looked good. We liked him. And it's like, what? what's happening? It, it's, it always it makes me laugh because in Buffalo, Brandon Bean, who you know, people now, when he was the interim GM, everybody around here you know, made fun of his name. Now he's the greatest uh, football executive maybe the last 50 years. But it's like when Buffalo was looking, were they going, well, he's going to be just like Marty Herney. He's going to be just like that guy. And, and we don't know. You're right. We haven't seen Matt Rule take an offensive player yet in the draft. Mm-hmm. So let alone whether it was Herney or not. And Fitter hasn't picked yet. We don't know what – we can assume, we can try and guess, but we really don't know what they prioritize, what the guys they want look like. There's different guys that play the same position that do dramatically different things for a football team, and we just don't know who they are. So from that standpoint, it is as wide open as we've had in a long time because even if it wasn't the GM, Jerry Richardson, we felt like, well, there's some rules in place. There's some certain character things in place. There's going to be some guys that are going to be, you know, not on the list, things like that. Like, we felt like we knew kind of what Panthers looked like. Now, with David Tepper, it's completely out the window. Like, this is a complete rebranding. So, from that standpoint, uh, I, I think it really it, – you're probably right. It is probably the, the most wide open we've had as, as far as the speculation going in any direction could be just as legitimate as anybody else's assessment. Who do we think's calling the shots? This is this is the question that's going to continue, and I think it's going to continue at least until we feel like the quarterback question is answered. Until David Tepper gets to walk across a stage with a quarterback, in whatever way that is, you know, whether it's a Super Bowl party or whatever, wherever it is, he's finally going to get that moment—a hand-built stage that's on the sidelines at Bank of America Stadium. That you're like, why <laughs> is there a stage there? And then it's just like he's just walking down the aisle with. He's, he is. He's going to walk down the aisle and with a quarterback until that happens. Uh, you know, Tepper's going to be involved. You know, and, and I, we, we said it before. I, it feels like that the, the fight's been, you know, do you need to have the quarterback now or do we need to try and build this roster up now? And I think Darnold was an attempt to kind of let Fitter and Rule maybe do their jobs for a little bit. Yeah, he said that he was going to be the tiebreaker. I don't know if you guys read, this might be a little bit of a tangent, but there was a great um, uh, article slash story in The Athletic. It's written by the Eagles beat writers that basically like took down the, 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 um, the, the troubles that they had between Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie and um, Peterson, their coach and kind of the disconnect between the three of them and how it seemed like Lori was like the, the final decision maker on everything. Um, and then obviously Howie Roseman's the GM, he's very close. And so it just like, it was, it was just interesting to hear, but there is a part at the end of it um, at apparently one of their press conferences, they were asked uh, Roseman and Peterson were asked directly who has the last, who makes the ultimate decision and they both looked over at Lori, and he raised his hand. He's the owner of the Eagles, by the way. Um, and he raised his hand, and the crowd laughed. And that, to me, was like, oh, do you mean like how David Tepper said, I'm the tiebreaker? Like, and the, the indication to me was, I'm the tiebreaker, and my vote counts as two. So, uh, I, like, I, I think that, yes, he's going to let – Matt Rule and Scott Fitter do their job as long as he agrees with what they're doing. Um, 
And so that to me is the question that does throw this, that makes this yes, very wide open and does throw quarterback, unfortunately back into the fray with the eighth pick. Cause I do think that there is a world where the, the Panthers select a quarterback with the eighth pick in the draft. And, um, and my head explodes at Dilworth neighborhood grill. <laughs> because, because your belief and your love of Darnold is so much that no, because then it just doesn't make it. Then, then, then nothing that they're doing makes any sense. Like because if they draft a quarterback with the eighth no. pick, see this is this is where everyone wants to build a perfect house. This is the game we always play with this stuff where you want to build a perfect house. They made a decision that they thought best suited the team on the day they made that decision, which was getting Sam Darnold. They did that based largely on the belief that there will not be a quarterback at eight or they're not a quarterback that they want available to them at eight. And I think that's a reasonable bet. We've heard people talking about how quarterbacks go one through four. If for some way, Justin Fields, who is there going, well, we'd love to get him, but he's going to go top three. And we just don't feel like we've got the team to pay the price to go up there and get him. So we're not going to be able to get our guy. Because three to eight is a massive fall for a guy that, you know, like Justin Fields that has the accomplishments that he does, at the, at, particularly at the quarterback position. So I think you can make the Darnold decision and then go, well, nothing's going to preclude me from taking Justin Fields. And I'm using Justin Fields as a name here, but it could be one right. of the four, whichever one I don't know that they really like. But that to me, there's nothing wrong with making that decision. What Green Bay did, taking, taking a quarterback in the first round with Aaron Rodgers, that to me is far more inexcusable than what, what would happen here. I understand that it's like, well, now we wasted a second round pick on Sam Darnold or whatever. Oh, well. Well, but it's uh, not a second round pick. It's so, uh, uh, while I don't, it's weird because I'm of two minds about this in, on one hand, my immediate reaction is they didn't have to trade for Sam Darnold two and a half weeks ago. They could have waited until the week after the draft and maybe it would have cost them a little bit more. I'm, I'm just saying they could have, they could have, they put themselves oh, in this situation. No, they, you can't see this. Is, this is the problem. We try to make perfect houses. And you, everybody makes assumptions. Who else was bidding on Sam Darnold? Was there anyone? No, no. Accord, according to the new, according to the New York writers, there was nobody else bidding. Okay. Now that obviously it's all secondhand. It's all hearsay. It's all hindsight is 2020. I get it. I'm but just the, saying, I mean, if the jets are motivated to make a trade before, the draft and they want to make a trade before the draft, then you can't say, well, just wait till after the draft. Well, they could have waited until after the eighth pick. If the jets want to make a move before the draft. Again, all hypotheticals. I'm just saying if. No, but you can't say that they could make the decision in three weeks that they necessarily couldn't. That's the, that's the whole point of saying why I'm saying that you have to make the decision on the day that you make that decision. And they did that. All right. I mean, uh, for me, it just feels it, it feels very 2020 offseason where the uh, where the plan is very like, what's the plan? As opposed to it's very like it's very fluid, fluid, fluidity is the, is the key option. Optionality. Yeah. And it is it is very fluid. I, for me, I just like to have a, a plan and I, lo- I love it when a plan comes together. But I, I would prefer to be to have my eye on that plan. And maybe maybe it's not for us to know what that plan is. But I think that signing Teddy Bridgewater last year, trading for Sam Darnold, and then drafting a guy with the eighth pick, that those three steps seem like the work of three different people that are maybe not on the same page. 
And if Justin Fields is the quarterback for the next 15 years for the Carolina Panthers, then none of it matters. There you go. Then none of it matters. But if none of it matters, like that's the thing. Like you, sometimes it's hey, you should take a you should take a quarterback every year. Take a swing every year. This is this is what smart teams do. And then other times it's like what what are they doing? Taking repeated swings at quarterbacks? That's crazy talk. But they're not giving up. But but because it didn't work out. But they're not giving up future assets for that. Whatever. The point is, is you're absolutely right. When it comes to quarterbacks, when it comes to any player, when it comes to the NFL, process doesn't matter if the results are good. So for me, I but the results have not been good recently. So I have to look at something and say, is there a good process? And then if there's a good process and something goes wrong, like you draft somebody that's going to be a stud and then they tear their ACL four games into the season, and they're never the same again. Okay, if you have your linebacker who's going to be the best defender in in team history and maybe in NFL history at some point in his career he has to retire at 29 because he had too many concussions that's not that's bad result that's bad results and good process but bad process and good results those happen too and so but right now I'm just looking for the good process because I, I don't know what the results are going to be and this is where we haven't seen we haven't seen this team develop we haven't seen anything really kind of mature yet so this is where everyone wants everyone says they want a plan but they really want a plan that mirrors what they what they want because totally. we don't know like this this elf line signing could be you know good daquan jones this is one that all of a sudden he ends up having a massive play in week 15 or something you're like oh yeah just like we all thought then they signed that four million dollar interior defensive line player that was going to be the big one i'm not i'm not frustrated you just it's this idea that there's this right way to build a roster when i think you have to go in every day and just try and build the best roster that you can and keep and show up the next day and do the exact same thing and some and if i i would not sit there and say i'm not taking quarterback at eight justin fields whatever because we got sam darnold like that seems to me to be worse process than saying we're taking multiple swings. It is worse process. I agree with you. So, but they are now in that situation and we're not there yet. So they may not do that. So who knows? We're all, we're all just getting mad about hypotheticals. And I just want to be clear. I am frustrated with you personally. Okay. <laughs> you said the, you weren't. Yeah. Said you I, weren't frustrated I, with me. And I understand that you may be frustrated with me personally. And I don't, I don't think it's uh, unearned. I want to make it clear. Like this is personal, and when this podcast ends, we're gonna fight. Oh, like we can coax, we can get into real life stuff. There's gonna be a rumble out on the deck. Uh, yeah, I'll be broadcasting it on Snapchat. You'll be on TikTok. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I'll put it on Instagram Live. Just round, round it out. We'll get it all. <laughs> Any other draft thoughts before we bring on our guest? Oh, there's, Colin a, there's, a, like there's a finger raised go <laughs> ahead Colin <laughs> no 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 I have something this is good I, just, I got I got into our beef real quick <laughs> <laughs> I mean if you want to have a battle rap I already will tell you my t-shirt does not fit like lotto so it's fine that's a I, that's a free one that you can use I I'm going to remember as soon as we send it to the interview. Sorry. No, it's fine. I actually, I want to, I want to talk about one quick thing and it's the idea of smoke screens and whether you believe that they are real and whether or not you think that uh, this Panthers organization likes to employ them because I do both. Uh, I think that a lot of times, 
I think a lot of times you have to you you have to parse reports, judging on who the sources are. It's not just well, Schefter said this. It's the way things, the way news is reported, the way it comes out, the way maybe it gets backtracked, things like that. I'll give you an example. The 49ers trade up to the third pick in the draft. It immediately comes out. It was Schefter said the 49ers are in on Trey Lance. That's why they went up to three. They like Trey Lance. They want, they want Trey Lance at three. Within 24 hours, he is walking that thing back real hard. Now it's Mac Jones. Everybody's talking about how Mac Jones and the 49ers make a ton of sense, and they want Mac Jones and Mac Jones and Macaroni Jones. And it's like, why, why would all of those reporters have that information? Somebody told them, right? So maybe is it possible that maybe the information that came out first then, then Shanahan is like, well, stop. T- what are you doing? Don't stop revealing what's going to happen. Because the reality is, is that the the NFL doesn't want NFL coaches specifically. They don't want reporters to say these kind. They don't want these this news to get out. They don't want. They wouldn't want me to come out and say, hey, uh, just FYI, the Panthers have Micah Parsons number one on their board. They think he's the best player in the draft. That's not true. Please don't cut that out if you're listening. Uh, don't, don't put that on the internet, but if whatever they like, they don't want me to, they don't want people to leak their draft board because that, that affects them. But what they can do is they can go into press conferences and say, Hey, we're looking at quarterback. We're looking at everything. What they can do is they can not, uh, they can make a point to point out that they have not picked up the fifth year option on the quarterback that they just traded for because they don't need to, and maybe they're going to draft a quarterback at eight. And if you're listening, New England Patriots or Denver Broncos or LA Chargers or whoever, we a quarterback may be gone at eight that you might want. So if you want somebody, give us a call. Like, get, let us know. Holler at us. Or maybe trade up in front of us and draft a quarterback because we, 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 we are in the quarterback market when that may not be the case. The Carolina Panthers, if anyone wants Mac Jones, they should trade ahead of the Carolina Panthers in this draft. I'm just going to go ahead and you can clip that out. You can put it all over the internet. If you want Mac Jones, you should be ahead of the Panthers in this draft. The floor for Mac Jones is eight. You heard it here first. (laughs) Just make sure you spread it to all of your non-Panther friends so that maybe the Lions will take him at seven. Colin, I know I, I, I asked you that question then went on like a four-minute diatribe about it, but do you what are, what are your thoughts on it? Well, the Mac Jones piece was the, the part that really stuck out to me because where did that come from? Who drove that? And, and in this day and age, and I think people are becoming aware of it now, and, you know, that how much of the content that you see and how much of the name drops that you see are actually driven by agents. Mm-hmm. And Mac Jones was a guy that was fighting to be in the, in, you know, in the kind of back – in the teens, right? Like, and then all of a sudden he got pushed up to eight and people objected to him being at eight for Carolina. You know, we, we all remember that week and a half um, where we were definitely taking him. But so we had that. And then all of a sudden he gets vaulted to three. And now it's like, he's a part of the conversation in the top 15, like no problem. So it's, it's kind of interesting how, even if it's not true, it's like, Oh, really smart San Francisco teams interested him. Well, that makes sense because they're super smart and Shanahan knows what he's doing. So maybe he is actually that good. And now he kind of buoys himself up into that, into that, uh, that first half more. So especially this time of year, being aware of how many times, and I wasn't aware of this. I did not know this was the thing that's going on. And I got real quibbles with this. 
Some media members are represented by the same agency as some of these players. And I'm, you know, it makes sense, you know, agent's going to agent, but I actually did not realize how much that was going on. And then it makes it very interesting where all this stuff comes from. I think this draft is going to look not just as a Panther sense, but it's talking about a wide open draft. I think we're going to, we're going to see how much BS we've actually been fed this year because of the, all the stuff that we know about and how different this year has been. It is going to be very interesting to see where those quarterbacks actually go. We've been told one through four. We've been told five in the top eight. It'll be very interesting to see what actually shakes out on draft night. We'll be back. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I think you nailed it. (laughs) We'll be back with Josh Norris right after this. Hey guys, it's Josh. Was that the that was good uh that was good music. That was good music. It's just some good old game show riff right there. We are back to real life events. Carolina Panthers will be drafting the next piece of the puzzle with the eighth pick, or maybe the twelfth pick, or maybe the fifteenth pick. They might trade down, they might trade up, they might do a lot of stuff on draft night and you get to see it all with your friends in the roaring riot the roaring riot is hosting a draft party if you are in the charlotte area come and hang out first in-person event of 2021 i am super excited about it i will be there it's going to be at dilworth neighborhood grill starts at 7 p.m everyone is seated they do a great job with social distancing there will be hand sanitizer everywhere drink specials food specials giveaways, a live DJ. DJ Vinny is going to be there. Uh, Colin and Nikki might be there. They're listening to me talk right now. Nikki, are you going to be there? I'll be there. Thumbs Colin, up. Colin, are you going to be there? Uh, I, I may be there. Okay. All right. That's very non-committal, And I appreciate the amount of non-committalosity that you just put there. Anyway, check it out. The Roaring Riot draft party next Thursday night, Dilworth Neighborhood Grill. Come and join us. Here comes Josh Norris. Joining us now is Josh Norris from Underdog Fantasy. Josh, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm always willing to talk Carolina Panthers with anyone, especially people like you. So I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Josh, we are uh, excited. I want to talk about Underdog Fantasy for a minute um, before we jump into Panther stuff because I actually discovered it when um, when, when you went over there. I was like, let me just check this out because I... I'm terrible at fantasy football, but it turns out that it combines like gambling and you can, it's just super, like, it's just a super fun app. So congratulations. I assume you designed the app. (laughs) (laughs) To be honest with you, the CEO also does the iOS work, which is just incredible. I mean, there's like 20 staffers. I'm probably revealing too much information here. It's, it's an amazing product. It launched a year ago and um, it's best ball. And hopefully everyone out there has played fantasy football. And I think, the ones that have understand that drafting is the best part of fantasy football and best ball is only drafting and that's it. Like there's no waivers, there's no lineup sets, there's nothing. So it's whoever drafts the best team then ends and wins at the end of the season. Uh, so go and try it out. I mean, it's, it's great in iOS, Android, desktop, underdog fantasy. We have games going right now and obviously throughout the summer. Plus there's pick them, like you mentioned with NBA and MLB and NHL and all that good stuff. So thanks for letting me do the plug. And what you said at the beginning, if you can just like relay that to my bosses, they would absolutely appreciate that. I was the one that sent you over there. 
Absolutely. Promo code Josh, that some of that money might come back to me. I don't know if that actually exists. <laughs> but as a fellow Josh, I feel like you just split it between us all, right? That's how it works. That's how yeah. it works. Um, well, you let's talk about it. Drafting, right? So you're Scott. I'm, I'm going to pull. We're going to do role play right off the bat. Okay? Oh, let's do it. Yeah. It, it gets a little weird here. It gets a little freaky on one day contract. But uh, you're Scott Fitterer. And you are going into it's the the draft has not begun yet. Trevor Lawrence mm-hmm. saw the board. Zach Wilson saw the board. You look at David Tepper. David Tepper says, "Hey, who is the best case scenario for the eighth pick for us? Who should I be rooting to still be available at eight? Panay Sewell. Uh, to me, they are in, and if I am fully in their position, I know that I've been talking to David Tepper, who seems to have a heavy hand in a lot of the decisions recently. That, Very heavy. Yes. Uh, that he knows that we are trying to build an infrastructure for any quarterback to succeed. And it might be the one that we just traded for in Sam Darnold. It might be one that they go out and get next year during the offseason. But the best way to do that, and if I can take you back to the Panthers Super Bowl run just a few years ago, a major element with that of that was a quality and consistent offensive line. Now, a significant piece is also injury luck. You want injury luck to be in your favor, and we see this as a great differentiator um, late in seasons and, and in playoff runs that almost always the same starting five has been that way throughout the entire season. But I could point to the Panthers roster right now and ask, do we really even feel comfortable of the starting left tackle in this moment, despite investments in that over the last few years? So in a class that is loaded with offensive line talents at multiple rounds, some might view that as, hey, why don't we then just take one in round two and round three? I would say Panesul has a chance of being a top five player at his position in the NFL. So that was kind of my question is, what is it about Sewell that makes him that much more appetizing than somebody like, you know, maybe moving down and getting somebody like Rashawn Slater or, um, or, you know, even in the second round when you get into guys like Leatherwood or how, you know, choose your second round tackle that you like. I I would just go on to say that he's clearly the top in that class. Now I would say it's a, it's a tier of him and Slater, but I think that they might even go back to back in this draft. You know, it's not one where you can say, Hey, I'm going to drop back 10 spots. Because when you look at it league-wide, everyone needs to improve one of their starting tackles, basically. Like, it might be a handful of teams that say, oh, yeah, we're really comfortable with our tackle situation. And look how quickly it can go into being one of your worst position groups. The Kansas City Chiefs are an extreme example of this. Winning the Super Bowl two years ago with Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz, who Mitchell Schwartz still at the end of his career was playing like one of the best right tackles in the game. And now they basically don't have two starting tackles on their roster. And Panay Sewell, while, you know, the argument can be made of 33 and a quarter inch arms, that's not the ideal frame and so on and so forth. He's a, he's a growing player. You see it in his game. You see it in his age around 21 years old and just how he plays as a hammer constantly. And just how he moves at that weight of 330 plus pounds. Uh, he's has every trait that you want to being a piece to build around on offense and that offensive line. You were kind of on the Sam Darnold train early. You were a, a few weeks before um, before the Panthers lucky, traded. Josh. Well, a lot of people call that just excellent uh, NFL insider stuff. Like you were, Let's go you were, with it. You were working the phones. 
That's you, you got to take credit <laughs> for this kind of stuff. When you put out, when you put out, uh, this is the new style of reporting. It's not like, mm-hmm. well, reportedly, like the Panthers are doing this. It's like, well, I think something that they might look into, and then when they do it, you're like, well, I've been telling you for weeks that this literally was my meant- my tweet, Josh said. I am not responsible for this, but <laughs> this is my prediction. So that's a hedge, and the yeah. hedge worked out in this case. What I like to do, and this might be a tip for the Underdog Fantasy Show, I like to work both sides of the fence. So I'll say something, and then like <laughs> 45 seconds later, I'll say the complete opposite. So wherever you clip out, it's like, I think Panay Sewell, to me, is like the can't-miss prospect of this draft. And the other thing that I think also is that Panay Sewell has a lot of bust potential. <laughs> and I'm just not sure that he's actually going to be the guy that you want 10 years down the road. Uh, you know, maybe we should all do that with the number three pick and just say like, <laughs> yeah. hey, the 49ers are taking Mac Jones. Hey, the 49ers are taking Trey Lance. Hey, the 49ers are taking Justin Fields. And then delete the other ones as soon as that pick happens. And then There's- the only one that's there is, is the one that's right. Yeah, well, that's the one that you retweet afterwards. Exactly. And, say, and I told you guys. Look, uh, I, we, we have figured out the content game, the three of us right now. We're going to be I, superstars. We're not going to put this thing out. This is just going to be the three of us. <laughs> just us talking, just figuring it out. Um, I, I'm so glad I now have two fence setter Joshes now in my life. <laughs> yeah. What's better than one? <laughs> two. Good Lord. I don't know what I'm going to do with people named Josh, both of you. <laughs> we're the command. best. We're the best. Um, I wanted to ask you about uh, – so you were on the Sam Darnold thing early. You were obviously not responsible for it, but you, you called it. Uh, but I, do you think that this precludes them from taking a quarterback with the eighth pick? Because I kind of do. But, well, I don't think it does, but I think it would be dumb if they did. I would say their actions preclude them pre-Sam Darnold. I truly believe this. And you, both of you tell me if, if you think I'm off base here. If they loved a quarterback – not name Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson, they undoubtedly would have moved up to number three overall. I'm not into this, like, oh, the 49ers beat them to the punch. David Tepper, there is not, based on his words, based on his actions, there was no price that was too rich for him to go get the guy if they loved someone in that building. And because they didn't move up to three, because they probably looked at Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson as the top two, in this class and didn't love anyone else, then they said, okay, we don't want 17 games of Teddy Bridgewater to watch that anymore. So, I mean, this even goes back to the Matthew Stafford potential deal with number eight included, like the, the Deshaun Watson conversation. I, I can't tell you, maybe it was option D was Sam Darnold, but we got to that point. And I think that there is a conversation that if one of these quarterbacks does fall to number eight if again David Tepper sorry to keep bringing up the name steps in in like that hour that day and says okay we didn't have to give up anything additionally we like him enough but based on their actions I don't think that they like one enough and again I I think they just want to build the structure the infrastructure for someone to succeed back there yeah I don't necessarily disagree with you I think that that is that would be the that would make a lot more sense than for the eighth pick to roll around and Justin Fields is still there and they just pull the trigger. And then you say, well, okay, so now you have the eighth pick in the draft, but you also gave up a second and a fourth for, uh, for Darnold. You gave up future assets for Darnold. What, what's happening? It, it just feels like the, the plan would seem very muddy. Whereas if 
even if there is fields, even if Lance is there, even if Macaroni Jones is still there at eight, you just, you wait and you just say, you know what, either we're going to trade down or we're going to take a tackle over the top. To me, the best case scenario for the Panthers is the four quarterbacks go one, two, three, four. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you don't, and maybe even five of them go before you. And then you just have your choice of the entire, uh, basically the entire field. Yeah. And, and you don't have to deal with the consequences of having then passed on a quarterback because to me, David Tepper seems like not seems like is the kind of owner that will be pissed at you. If you, t- if you pass on Justin Fields and he turns out to be Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. But I would also say it's probably his fault if they do that. You know, I would, like, I would agree. <laughs> uh, I also don't think he's patient. Uh, he might say patience and process in his opening press conferences. And then when he brings in Matt rule and talks about, you know, building new infrastructures with inside the organization. But when they signed Teddy, what the hell did they expect was going to happen? You know, you're going to be five and 11, you're going to be six and 10. And if the plan then was for Teddy to start two years and then you bring on a rookie, you know, during his second year, but then you get to the point when Teddy shows you exactly, and I, 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 his career is commendable. Like what he's come back from is amazing. He even showed in moments this year, like more, and better improvisational play than I expected from Teddy. But you can tell based on their words and actions, they are all the way out on him, you know? So if you even had a plan at the beginning and you're not sticking to it, to me that speaks that David Tepper doesn't want to wait around for a rookie, that he wants to go with someone who at least they have NFL tape on, which in this case was Sam Darnold, and that probably was not priority A or priority B. It all leads back to me that Sam is playing for his job this season. And if he doesn't, if they don't get to like a, a nine and eight season, it's so weird to talk about 17 games, a nine and eight season. Yep. Um, and other situations across the league, maybe a, a, I mean, massive names come available. I think they want to pitch those massive names and be like, look what we've built around you here. We're willing to make this move despite investing in the position last year too. I know that's super vague, but I, I, I feel like that's the – the boat that they've built for themselves in this moment, because I truly believe they thought trading number eight overall was good enough for Matthew Stafford. And when that didn't work, they pivoted to Deshaun Watson. When that didn't work, they look at Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. And when that doesn't work, you get to Sam Darnold. And that's that. Like not every team in the league is going to be perfectly happy with their quarterback position. And they might sound like they are right now. I just don't think they are, but I don't think it's enough for them to then say, oh, yeah, number eight, we definitely want to take a rookie here too. Well, I think it's also – yeah, you're absolutely right. It feels to me like they just changed – that he changed the plan from – the plan was this last year, and then 12 games into this season, he didn't like what he was seeing from Teddy, and he was like, yeah. now here's the new plan. And then so what's going to happen when Sam Darnold is Sam Darnold? Is the plan going to change I, again next offseason? I, I kind of think – And it makes sense. You know, it got them to this point. Matt Rule and Joe Brady love coaching NFL players, like actually changing and improving them, you know, so often. I mean, you rarely turn weaknesses into strengths. And I truly feel, I mean, look, Robbie Anderson's an example of this. You know, he was used in one way, and it's a totally different position than quarterback, but used in one way was generalized and stereotyped as a certain player. And then he gets into this offense and he shows much more to his game. Maybe they think, and, you know, when age is the number one thing that you talk about a quarterback, that's never a positive. But maybe they do think, and they go back to their, you know, college evaluations 
in this position and say, we like these traits of Sam, but I think all of us, and again, if I'm talking for you and speaking for you, let me know. All of us think that Sam Darnold has stunk during his NFL season. And the situation has been brutal, but even when the offensive line blocked well, even when his wide receivers got open, even when there was a good play call, he would then also keep his offense, keep his team from performing. And like, I went back to watch like all the highlights and so many of those throws uh, were off target, forced wide receivers to stop. Look, I'm not, I'm not trying to destroy his career here, but you do have to, in some situations, turn weaknesses into strengths. That's rare, and that's going to be really difficult. But this coaching staff has seemed to do it with some other players, so maybe they can do it here too. I like how you used air quotes when you said highlights. Yeah, that's kind of what they look like to me. <laughs> You've talked about this before where the Panthers could go build out their roster, then they'll go out, find a veteran quarterback rather than bring in a rookie. When you're doing that, what quarterback would be the best case scenario in that? I mean, pie in the sky is Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Green Bay Packer fans are, you know, frustrated with anyone when you suggest that Aaron Rodgers is possibly leaving because, you know, but that's what happens when you select a quarterback in the late first round. That's what happens when no one thought Tom Brady would ever leave New England. Then he goes and is basically the missing piece, other than adding Tristan Wirfs in the draft. Looks, I mean, look, look at this. Things are happening. Formula that we're Puzzles creating are pieces here. Are, pieces are arranging themselves in the air. So if you're the missing piece of, let's not put names to this, a player who is turning the football over – putting their defense and their team in disadvantageous positions, but there's a lot of talent around him. And then if you say, oh, if you just inject me to a team with very good skill position players, wide receivers, good play callers, and I just go and do my thing there, we can win immediately. That sounds pretty good. And, you know, who knows what happens? And, and I don't even want to, I am so unqualified to talk about the Deshaun Watson situation. I had Charles Robinson on my show, and he did a fantastic job, but I, I am just not smart enough to understand that, and there's so much that has to go on. Um, but and I, I don't want to make this sound bad, but David Tepper in his lifetime has been able to turn like distressed assets into positives, and if Deshaun Watson can improve himself as a person, if he – handles these situations how they should be handled, sits out an entire year, gets some help, depending on the legal situation. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if they go back in that, into that sweepstakes a year from now either. And, and it seems to me like these veteran quarterbacks, they come available without much notice, right? So like if you to come yeah. two years ago, if you'd have said, hey, next offseason, Tom Brady um, is going to be available. Russell Wilson might be available for the right price. Matt Stafford is going to be available. Like these guys that you would think to yourselves, well, these are Jared Goff, Carson Wentz. Exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, was, big I was deals actually are no thinking... longer big deals. You know, like, I mean, the reason I said those two names is because they just signed massive contracts that place them in the top 10, top five of their position. And, you know, Greg Rosenthal talks about this, how, how quarterbacks are basically NFL currency now and how, yeah, they, they can lose some value. You know, if, if you ask what Carson Wentz was worth during basically his MVP run before getting injured before the Eagles won the Super Bowl, you would say multiple first-round picks. Okay, it might be one future first-round pick now, you know, because of poor play. But it, it changes all the time. And just with 
how, how these players can take control of their careers and say, oh, you're not giving me what I want. Get me out of here. Matthew Stafford's a perfect example. Um, that, like you just said, Josh, that can immediately change before we're even, you know, knowledgeable about it. So. And it seems like there would be a good situation here in Carolina, theoretically, Joe Brady. I mean, but the problem is, is that the guys that are here now that look attractive, Joe Brady, Robbie Anderson. That well, I'm sure you made, I'm sure you made this point that like, if Joe Brady turned Sam Donald into Carolina's quarterback, then Joe Brady's probably getting a head coaching job. You mm-hmm. know, we also said that about, you know, Brian Dayball with Josh Allen. We said that about Greg Roman and Lamar Jackson, and neither of them have gotten head coaching jobs. So maybe that's just a line that I keep repeating. But it, it would make sense with him already getting, you know, head coaching interviews, things like that. Worked for a guy named Chudzinski. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Colin. Hello, Josh. Good to see you. Sorry, I was delayed. Scott Fitter had some pressing needs. You know, I, right. stuff. Not, nothing we're going to talk about here, but I just I help out where I can. Um, we, we've talked a lot about it. Obviously, the main focus has been the Panthers need their next quarterback. But I'm curious, you've spent time in front offices. You've been, you know, studied football from a, an array of ways. Um, do you think that, we, that the quarterback needs to be first in, in terms of this roster composition? Because this is one of the things I was, uh, I was pro Teddy in terms of I think Teddy could, be a, could have been a Jake DeLome type. And maybe if the team stays healthy, they could have made the playoffs. The roster wasn't there last year. And now I feel like I'm saying the roster's not there, but people want to plug that quarterback in. Do you think it's vital to get that guy in the building first? Or do you think, like you were talking about with Brady, maybe there's other ways to skin this cat? I think it helps to get the guy first, but in order to do that, you have to be most likely the worst team in the NFL, you know, and bottom out and then try to build from there. And only one team or two teams and who even like, who knew that Zach Wilson would be a top two selection at this point Mm -hmm. last year, you know? So who knew that having both top two and that Justin Fields wouldn't be in there anyways. um, So you have to bottom out. Colin, to your point, signing Teddy means you're not going to bottom out, you know? Having Sam Darnold, I mean, I guess there's a possibility that you can bottom out with him. Um, but, like, the, the variance of the outcome seems much larger, too, with Sam Darnold in this situation. So, to your point, Colin, and I, I said this earlier, um, their goal is not to do a soft tank or whatever you want to call it and get into that position. I truly feel that – their mindset is to build the best surrounding talent, namely offensive line, namely skill position players, and then do their best to acquire the best player available um, into that quarterback position. And who knows if it's going to be a future rookie or who knows it's going to be a future vet. But I, I, I don't see the outcome being, oh, yeah, they're going to wind up with the number one or number two pick. Josh, we're going to get you out of here, but I can't let you go without asking you some best ball advice Let's do um, it. What, what, like, who are, who are some guys that you, that are on all of your teams? Well, how about an old friend? Um, okay. Let's do Mike Davis. Oh, like, all this right. All, this all depends on the situation that the Atlanta Falcons are going to have following the, the draft, right? But right now, I mean, we saw what Todd Gurley did last year, and Todd Gurley is totally cooked. Like, in the first eight weeks of the season, Mike Dave, or excuse me, Todd Gurley was among there with Dalvin Cook 
and um, and Alvin Kamara in terms of touchdowns at the running back position. Right now, I'm even trying to find where he's going. But Mike Davis is like an absolute steal as number 81 overall. So that that's after you know Chase Edmonds, Raheem Mostert, Miles Gaskin just before Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones and and AJ Dillon. So if anyone's doing some pre-draft best, best balls. Um, Mike Davis is absolutely someone that I'm trying to get in every single draft because he's good. Like it's, um, it's amazing how quickly things can change when two years ago, if you said, yeah, Mike Davis is unquestionably going to be a better player than Todd Gurley and Le'Veon Bell. And now you're right, you know, and, and that's an offense obviously with Arthur Smith that did wonders with Derrick Henry, their offensive line is not nearly as good, but that's just an offense that's going to put up a boatload of points, especially if they, if they get Cal Pitts. And so I just want pieces of that. So if I could exit the draft with anyone right now, it'd be Mike Davis. Um, and also, if you said the phrase, I'm really excited to see Sam Darnold throw it to Robbie Anderson. Um, <laughs> that doesn't seem like that would have happened again, but here we are. Can, can I ask you all one thing? Because, you know, it's the, the perception of what the Panthers and where they are right now. Um, I, you three know better than national people, you know? And there's this belief nationally that like they're going to invest early in a tight end. And I don't see that because unless it was just because like the lack of talent they, they thought last year, but Joe Brady just doesn't incorporate a tight end. He didn't even do it really at LSU with Thaddeus Moss. So like, I don't think like that's high in their priority list. To me, it's finding, and it's, it's very similar to what Buffalo did a couple years ago of like bring in all these new names. And then like Deion Dawkins is the final one who's a second round pick right after Greg Little. Um, that almost then, worked out. And then, and then uh, them finally ending up with five good blockers. To me, that's the most important thing. Like I don't see them attacking, you know, cornerback either at number eight. But like the two likeliest outcomes to me are either one of the left tackles or trade back. And that's that. Yeah, I, I think you Fair? hit the nail. I think you hit the nail on the head. I think it's it's tackle or trade back. And I think it ends up being trade back if Fields slash Lance slash Jones is on the board and somebody wants to come up and get them. Um and and they would do well to not draft not to trade back behind Minnesota or or the Chargers. But I mean it's kind of like it's such a small window to trade exactly. back into. So you kind of have to make the right decision. But I just think that the way that Scott Fitterer the tree that he came from. And when you heard him talk about trading down in his opening press conferences, like he talked with such fervor about it, that it's like, that's part of his blood. You know I mean? That's, it's who you are. Yeah. See, Seattle's their <laughs> their progression, their front office is fascinating because they got really lucky for a while mm-hmm. and they built that, they built that Super Bowl roster by getting lucky and it was in the later rounds. And then they're like, Oh, we've got this thing figured out. Only the players that we like are going to be good. So, like, let's trade out of round one and get, I don't know, your Malik McDowells or your Rashad Pennies. Now, you keep throwing, like, all these names out. Like, their first round pick, their, their first picks in, would be in the second round. And then they went on a streak of absolutely sucking in the draft. Um, hope, I, you know, I can't assign Scott Fitterer to any of those responsibilities. But hopefully they're – because I go back because I'm a crazy person. And – watch every single post-draft press conference and Seattle just like has this player that they love LJ Collier or so on and so forth. And then they're like, Oh, we're just going to leave the draft with him. And so they just try to trade back to get to a spot where the value makes sense. Um, one more question since I'm now switching the roles here. Uh, 
a Curtis Samuel loss. I mean, I, I'm an unapologetic Curtis Samuel fan, but I think he was highly productive last year for how he, what the usage was. I mean, freaking four players over 1,000 scrimmage yards should get more national run anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no like one-for-one one replacement. And maybe there doesn't have to be, but like David Moore is totally different than what Curtis Samuel brings to the ball game. Do we think eight is wide receiver play or is, is that out of the question too? I think, I think there's probably a two-name list as far as that's concerned. And one of those names is a tight end. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and my concern is I know that there are a few boards that have Kyle Pitts as the number one player in the draft. And they're, and they're picking ahead of the Panthers. Yeah. Well, I, I, don't, I think he goes at three. I think I'm a believer now. I know Lombardi's the one that floated the, the, the theory out there, his sources or whatever. I believe that Kyle Pitts is the play for San Francisco at three. I may, maybe I'm the sucker here, but that would- me, because it seems very similar to the Rams in the sense that they have enough of their young guys that they're already going to be paying. They don't need, to, they don't need two more first-round picks that are going to cost them seven million dollars a year i think they went up for what they think could be a difference maker for this team and at this point they go if jimmy g and his 25 million can't get it done with this offensive crew so my my only point back to that is that it did cost them extra like if they were just sitting at three then maybe i would understand it more but because they trade a few two future first round picks and a third round pick to get in a position to do this, then to me that speaks to the quarterback, especially because their quarterback has been injured in two of the last three years. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it, it, I think it's, I think it's fields and or, or pits, but I do think pits, I'm not, I'm not ruling that scenario out. I mean, you just yeah. hear like, I, I listened to Bill Polian talk about pits and this is a guy that's been watching players for four years and he's just, you know, gushing about how he's this completely different playmaker and he's, it's basically a new position and all this stuff. He, Pitts has, has the, uh, the traditional football guys going gaga over him. And yeah. if it's, I, I think Pitts is a special enough prospect that even at his position, he could be in play. But if, 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 you know, if we placed a beer bet and you said it's going to be Fields and I said it was going to be Pitts, I would be fully prepared to buy you a beer that. So I, I, uh, I think it's going to be frustrating for Jeremy Chin to cover uh, <laughs> Kyle Pitts twice a year coming up. That's what I think is going to happen. And I actually, I might be the one off my rocker, but then maybe this is just because we're, we're out in the draft cycle. I think it's going to be Trey Lance at number three, but that's just me. Oh, you think, you think they're completely sandbagging. So do you think this – okay, I'll ask you, where did the Mac Jones – you, because, you, because people generalizing, I think. Um, I think people real, just, just okay. people look at the type that Kyle has always taught and he's always had and said, oh, Mac Jones is the closest thing to that. Whereas – and look, we're all just speaking in hypotheticals here. But I think this is the moment that Kyle said, hey – I've shown that I can only take this team so far with someone that is executing exactly what I want them to do. When everything is figured out, I want someone that can do a little bit more. And this recent stuff from, I believe it was Dan Graziano tweeted out that while Trey Lance was already working with Quincy Avery, then Kyle Shanahan comes in and says, Hey, for these two weeks before your pro day, which we are scripting the entire thing, I want you to work with my buddy, John Beck. And so now Trey Lance is working with two quarterback coaches, which I don't know when that has ever happened. When a team has gotten that heavy handed with a pro day to me, it just, but you can say the same thing with Justin Fields and how he has his history. I actually think it's gotten to a point where Mac Jones is not going to be 
the pick at three. And that means he almost certainly will be the pick at three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, two things. And uh, two things. The, you mentioned wide receiver. And I know Colin said one of them is a, it's Chase or Pitts, obviously, would, would be the guy. I think if Chase falls to eight, you have to take a whole, long, hard look at him. The Panthers, and I don't know if this made it nationally, Panthers were really close on C.D. Lamb last year. Like, really yeah. close on C.D. Lamb. Um, and so – and maybe 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 the coach wanted him and the GM didn't. I don't know. Did they disagree in the – I don't – I'm just thinking out loud. Um, and now. Darnold got us in lockstep. Lockstep. That was what we needed with Darnold, yeah. and now everyone can walk together. Hand in hand to the Syner- finish line. Synergy right down the line. To the next postseason press conference where one person will be pushed overboard in a dramatic <laughs> – End of season finale. What do um, we think Marty Herney will offer for Greg Little? Anything? I, I mean, the waiver, a waiver claim. Um, <laughs> do you think Teddy Bridgewater – I'm asking more questions. Do you think Teddy Bridgewater would have had more trade value if David Tepper and they were and the Panthers weren't so obvious in their quarterback search this year? Uh, a line that I was told was Marty should be forced to take Teddy with him to D.C. So mm-hmm. that's, that's an exact quote I was told. Yeah, it's uh, there, L- Marty left a lot of guys on this roster that that are uh, very intensely Marty guys that I think you're going to see in Washington in the next eight eight months yeah. probably. Um, yeah. And not and turning down a trade, <laughs> ooh boy, turning down a trade offer for Curtis Samuel and then signing him in the offseason when you go to another team is a just a real kick in the nuts, like just <laughs> an incredible power move. So, so now now that, that we're here, Bills or Redskins in the Super Bowl. <laughs> 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 now, now, now that we're here, this is how I think the top six unfold. And I'm, I'm, no, I'm overstaying my welcome here. But Lawrence Wilson, Lance, four pits, five chase, six. This is going to surprise you. I think it's going to be Jalen Waddle. Okay. Um, and then I have no clue what the Detroit Lions are going to do at seven. Well, the Lions had that. So Sewell had that weird report where he's working out at right tackle instead of and left tackle so he could play both positions. Right. And then the Lions clearly have a huge need at right tackle. So it was like maybe that's what they asked him to do that. And that right. report got floated out there. Um, I don't really disagree with you that that Waddle might go in front of Smith. It's like one of those weird draft things where as a couple months in, I don't know whether we're just catching up to how the teams feel or whether – things are just flipping around, but yeah. uh, it kind of seems that way that Waddle has overtaken him down the stretch. I've also heard this, that some teams are just anti-opt-out, which kind of seems ridiculous. And huh. they're just against team uh, players that opted out of the season. So Jamar Chase, Panay Sewell, you can keep going down and down the list. Um, the other thing with Sewell, and maybe he was doing that because Tua's blind side is on the right side and maybe he wants to sound more. But I'm stumped with the Lions at seven and I even did some work with their new general manager and, and Brad Holmes when he was an area scout but they have so many holes and so many needs especially a wide receiver um I think that's a dumpster fire of a, of a team right now but what I'm saying is like if the Panthers sit at eight I would be shocked if one of Sewell or Slater is not there and it just depends on if they like them enough versus the trade out options and which one they like more I think it's in the realm of possibility they like Slater more than Sewell, potentially. So, um, if I think number eight, on, though, is like a great spot to be in. It's a great spot to be in. Not as good as three, but I mean. <laughs> <laughs> there was no chance. There was no chance that one was sliding by. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, he's right. I mean, it is better than nine. Yeah, it is. 
there i would i could think of like 21 spots i would not want to be in other than eight I the only spot that's you, better is 32 that's it yeah it's true i have to tell you taking waddle in the in the top 10 and i, I haven't seen him have we seen him run healthily no. since, since the playoffs because boy oh boy that scared Ooh, me buddy instantly um 183 pounds. I, 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 I'm hard pressed to, to take a guy that weighs 183 pounds, and Devonta weighs less than him in the yeah. top 10. Is he going to be the, the big? I'm sorry, I didn't mean, uh, go ahead. Uh, I, is he going to be like the big surprise? There's always one guy in the top seven where you're like, Cleland, Cleland Farrell at four? Yeah. Like, there's someone, like, whether it's Derasaw or like Quiddy Pet, like somebody that you're just like, what is happening? That guy is in the top six. Josh, I hate to tell you, but I already used up my surprise this offseason. It's the same Darnold trade. So I okay. think I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm out of them. Yeah. Um, no, I, what I believe the Dolphins are doing right now is just wanting to surround Tua with playmakers. And so they already had Devontae Parker on the roster. They go out and sign Wolf Fuller on that one-year deal. Um, because of that, those are two outside receivers. To me, it just makes the most sense for them to have add more pass-catching prowess over the middle of the field, and that's what Jalen Waddle offers. They also have a pick at 18. And if you want to get crazy, I would not be shocked if they draft someone like Travis Etienne at number 18 and just go all in on explosive players around Tua and try to build an offense. That's so early for a running back, especially with their offensive line Mm -hmm. situation, but that's something that I I think is in the realm of possibility for sure. People love him at Buffalo, right? Etienne, that's yeah, the, but the thing with Buffalo is they just love tackle breakers. They they love broken tackles, mm-hmm. and I mean Devin Singletary, despite his size, was great at avoiding tackles at FAU. Zach Moss's entire game at Utah was built. I bet I bet the Bills go out and get someone like Javante Williams from UNC, mm-hmm. who breaks metrics in terms of broken tackles, and he he's their type for sure. Rather than a CJ Spiller redux. Yes, there we go. Um, one guy that I, we're not talking about, we're basically not talking about the defensive side of the ball at all. Um, but that's so about, 2020, Colin. I know, <laughs> I know. What about adding a six foot three, 245 pound linebacker to if you want to play a six man front that can run a four three nine? I'm just saying, we haven't seen Fitter ever draft. We don't know really, we haven't seen, you know, Matt Rule take an offensive player. We know very little truly about the decision makers and, yeah. and not to mention Tepper's influence beyond Will Greer. I mean, that, that was Marty's fault. Um, the, uh, I, why is Michael Parsons just a guy that's not even in the mix? So, and this is kind of just my philosophy on defense right now. And it kind of goes against the traditional view of it, but I, I feel like you need three to four to five defensive players that you can say, Hey, in a tight game, when the opposition is trying to catch up with our great offense, we can count on you to make a big play. And I think the Panthers have that in Brian Burns and hopefully Derek Brown and Jeremy Chen. Like, it, to me, it's not someone where you have to be great at every single defensive position, um, especially if your offense is so good, because if your offense can continue to put points on the board, and I'm not saying the Panthers' offense is there, but – um, then, you know, you have those one to two to three to four to five playmakers that like, hey, you can seal the game for us. And so, I don't know. I, I feel like their linebacker group is kind of set with like this hybrid role that Jeremy Chin is playing where you go out and make Denzel Perryman with whatever money that they have somewhat of a priority with Shaq Thompson next to him. And then in those pivotal situations, 
you have Brian Burns, Hassan Reddick, and Derek Brown rushing from the interior. That's kind of a, an intriguing and enticing defensive group that I think you can win with, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I do hope that we have to see Perriman stay healthy. And yeah. you know, Reddick's a one-year deal. So that's one reason why I kind of threw it out there. Plus, if they want to play these light boxes and you've got smaller guys, I do and – I'm, and I'm not really advocating for Parsons – necessarily so much as just asking the question it feels to me like you would want one linebacker that really had that size so you don't end up as like an Atlanta team with the entire defense weighing 200 pounds yeah yeah to me I just can't get over number eight being such a good spot for offensive line talent Mm -hmm. and it's just such a need and they've just tried so hard and it drove me crazy how they slow played this Taylor Moten thing despite us knowing from the outside looking in how freaking talented he is and how good he was, like to me and, and Curtis, and I know you can't do both, but like he was the perfect type of guy to sign a long-term contract to before he gets into his contract year. Mm-hmm. And they didn't do it. And so, you know, spending a second round pick, and I know the person who did it is not in the building, who basically built his entire draft week in acquiring Greg Lowe in the second round. Um, but just they really are trying to do what the Bills did a couple of years ago. And I know like there's that constant leak between the Bills and, and Carolina, but it worked. It worked in Buffalo. And those early free agent signings of guys who've played multiple positions, to me, if you can have a great right tackle, Matt Paradis at center, a guy who comes in and plays left tackle, and then figure out those two guard spots with Dennis Daly and whoever else they brought in, maybe there's something there. Maybe there's something there that they can work with. And, and that's just, to me, what stands out the most at number eight. But it, if a trade down, as we discussed, is available and one that makes sense and maybe gets them an extra first-round pick next year, hey – Maybe you're cooking with gas with that too. So, And you could still pick up somebody like Darisaw maybe in the early teens. Yeah. Uh, Josh, I know you've got to go. So tell us a little bit about Underdog Fantasy, the show and the app. You talked about it at the beginning, but I want to know about the show. Tell us about the show because well, we you, got podcast you guys, listeners. Yeah, you, you guys are great. If, if all of you could just go and subscribe to the Underdog Football Show, that'd be great. And then if you don't like it, unsubscribe. How about that? So instead of pleading with you to subscribe, if you hate it, then unsubscribe. But it's me and Hayden Winks. We're basically just trying to find the most actionable information out there when it comes to football, to win money, or for it to be entertaining. Um, and, and we just had some great shows this week, and we're going to wrap it up with a, a, a top 10 show, just basically trying to outline what those top 10 teams are going to do in their entire draft. So, again, that's the Underdog Football Show. It's available on basically every single platform that you use. Thank you all for having me. See ya. Thank you. Say the line. <laughs> I got thrown off for a second whenever he was leaving. (laughs) (laughs) This has been One Day Contract, part of the Riot Network. Josh Norris, your One Day Contract is up. Everyone else, we'll see you next episode.